Hello, and welcome to our brand new podcast called You, Me and the UPC. You're joining uh, me, Naomi Hazenberg, and my colleague and friend, Charlie French, uh, as we delve into everything UPC. Uh, so a little bit about me, and then I'll pass over to Charlie. I'm a senior associate in the patent litigation team here at Bristow's. I uh, specialize in um, the kind of technological and engineering side of the practice, having had a physics uh, background back in the day. Um, and a lot of the stuff I do has uh, actions that uh, in many countries around the world. So keen interest in uh, cross-border disputes and, as a result, the UPC. Thanks, Naomi. Um, so I'm Charlie French, as Naomi said. I'm uh, another senior associate in the patent litigation team at Bristow's. My background is in biochemistry, so I tend to focus on life sciences cases, so pharmaceuticals, biotech, and uh, lots of things associated uh, with those areas. Um, alongside UK patent litigation, I also do a lot of coordination of multi-jurisdictional patent litigation strategies. Uh, on a global scale, but particularly in Europe. So I'm particularly interested in the UPC from that perspective. And our plan for this podcast is to cover roughly one topic per episode, although we might split our basics out across two episodes, because as it turns out, as basic as it is, there is quite a lot of it. Uh, and then we might have some guests joining us to talk about some other topics. So maybe should we start with the big question, what is the UPC? So if you uh, have anything to do with patents, then unless you've been hiding under a rock for the last decade or so, you'll probably be aware that the Unified Patent Court or the UPC is a new court system that's been created for patent disputes in Europe. And uh, it's been many years in the making, hasn't it? A lot. I think they've been talking about it since we qualified almost, and we won't say how many years ago that is now because it's quite worryingly long, but uh, it finally opened its doors on the 1st of June. So at the time that we're recording this, we're a little over six weeks into the new system. And Charlie, how would you sum it up in a nutshell? I suppose the, the main um, benefit of the new system is that in a single action, parties can now seek a remedy that will take effect in up to 17 countries, uh, those countries being the EU member states that have ratified the UPC agreement. So that includes uh, major patent dis uh, jurisdictions in Europe like Germany, France, uh, Italy and the Netherlands. And that number might go up, and that's right, isn't it? So there are possible additional EU member states that are going to ratify the UPC agreement. I think there are further seven signatories that could ratify. Um, Ireland uh, is planning to hold a referendum on whether or not they ratify. Um, they're just waiting for the right time to hold that referendum. Um, so we're all waiting with bated breath for that. I'm sure most of the Irish population is waiting for bated breath to uh, have the opportunity to vote on ratifying the UPC agreement. It's much more important than St. Patrick's Day. <laughs> <laughs> um, and uh, you'll probably have noticed that quite a few uh, law firms that focus on patent litigation have been opening offices in Dublin recently. Bristow's is uh, about to join that list of uh, law firms. So we're looking forward to that. Yes, and uh, there are a number of European countries that aren't taking part, uh, any countries outside the EU, so us following Brexit. Um, Spain, Poland and Croatia didn't sign up to the UPCA, uh, and some countries did sign but might not ratify. So uh, whilst there are seven possible future ones, there might not, we might not get up to seven extras. 
Uh, so I guess the next big question is which patents are going to be covered in the new system? So to start with what won't be covered, national patents uh, won't have any part to play in the new system. So those are patents that are filed in national patent offices rather than via the EPO. So those patents will still need to be litigated in the relevant national courts. Uh, but for the 17 countries that are taking part in the UPC, the UPC will have jurisdiction over both what are now known as classic European patents um, and also the new unitary patents and any supplementary protection certificates that go along with them. And you've mentioned the shiny new type of patent that's being created, the unitary patent. And that is going to be a single patent that covers all of the countries that have ratified the UPC agreement, like you said. And that is in contrast to the classic uh, European patent. It makes me feel very old calling it a classic, <laughs> but you know, I'm sure we'll get used to it. Um, which were a bundle of national rights. So rather than them all being split up, this is one new right. So someone who's applying at the EPO, uh, rather than checking all the boxes for the various countries, you can choose to have your patent grant as a unitary patent, uh, and that will cover the whole of the 17 jurisdictions. And I guess I think the unitary patent is set up to be cheaper than a classic European patent where that European patent would have been validated across the whole of Europe, but will end up being more expensive than choosing a few uh, selected territories within Europe for the classic European patent. So that's that's one of the factors um, for the decision between a unitary patent and the classic European patent. Yeah, I mean, it's rare generally that people validate across every single European uh, jurisdiction, but uh, maybe the difference in price becomes worth it for the yeah. possible uh, benefits that you get from the unitary patent. I think perhaps more common in life sciences cases, actually, yes. that you would have validation across. So uh, more, more of a, an even weighting there. Yeah. And uh, it is possible that um, you can avoid the new system. We've got the new unitary patent and SPCs based on those unitary patents, which are can solely only be litigated in the UPC. You can't get out of it for that. You can't sneak off to a national court. Um, and I think we, there have been uh, uh, up to roughly, I think, around 800 requests for the new unitary patent. Uh, and 4,500 requests uh, of deferred um, European patent, which means you can make it into a unitary patent uh, later on. But it is possible to opt out, isn't it, Charlie? Yeah, so for, for the classic European patents and, and SPCs associated with them, those can be opted out of the system during this transitional period, which will be at least seven years, um, but maybe extended at a later date. Um, although that's only if an action hasn't already uh, been brought within the UPC before the opt-out request has been filed. Um, an opt-out was available during the sunrise period in, in the run-up to 1st of June, so actually a lot of patents were opted out before the UPC start date. And it's possible if you've filed your opt-out to take that back uh, later on. And as Charlie said, that is provided that no action's been started before a national court. So um, opting out now, or if you did during the sunrise period, doesn't rule out a later UPC action if you plan carefully <laughs> and secretly <laughs> to do so. And there are things that people could have done in the or are doing in the transitional period and we're thinking about well for many years and particularly in the sunrise period um and as to whether or not to keep their patents in the upc system which we should say is the default option which is why we're talking about actively having to opt them out um so what charlie 
have you heard some of the things that people have been thinking about and thinking about as they're deciding whether or not to opt their patents out? Yes, I, th- I think a lot of energy and time has been put into the decision whether to opt out or not. Uh, some patentees have decided to opt everything out, uh, but retain the option to opt the patents back in on a selective basis in the future if they decide they do w- wish to bring a UPC enforcement action. Some have opted some patents out, but kept other patents in the system. Uh, and within that category, we've seen some patentees pursuing divisional strategies where so some members of a patent family are opted in and others are opted out, which gives them the option to, to try both systems, the national system and the UPC. Uh, and some patentees have simply left all of their patents in the UPC. I think certainly from a telecoms perspective, there's not any one uh, favoured strategy by uh, patent holders, SEP holders across the board. It seems that people are, like you say, taking a, a total range of approaches. Some people have left almost everything in and some people have taken almost everything out, um, fearing possibly, you know, the major revocation action that could wipe it out across uh, all the jurisdictions. And what do you, on, on the life sciences uh, side, is it kind of similar strategies, different differing across companies? Yeah, it certainly does. I, I think there was a sort of prediction in the run up to the UPC that perhaps life sciences companies might be more conservative and tend to opt everything out of the UPC. But um, as we'll come on to probably in, a, in our next uh, episode, there have actually been quite a few life sciences cases in the early days of the UPC. So obviously, uh, a lot of companies aren't opting everything out on the life sciences side. Yeah. And I think we, um, I'm not sure we've mentioned the number, but I think we're looking at roughly half a million opt-outs, aren't we, at the moment? Uh, roughly. <laughs> yeah, I think, I think it's sort of wavering around a bit. We've had some opt-outs withdrawn already as yeah. well, I think, in the thousands. So it'll, um, the number will keep changing. Um, it's, it's slightly difficult to unpick the numbers as well um, in terms of uh, the information that's publicly available as to how many of those opt-outs are patent applications versus granted patents versus expired patents. But it's somewhere around uh, that kind of number. And that is quite a lot higher than the UPC had been expecting. I think that when they um, spoke about it last year, they were looking at 50, they were expecting 50,000 uh, opt-outs during the sunrise period. And the sunrise period was the three months in the run-up to the start date. Uh, but actually, it looks like they're looking at something that's a whole 10 times higher than that. Yeah, I think that was the UPC Budget Committee last year. So um, possibly the budgeting might be slightly out, given the number of opt-outs, <laughs> but, but we'll see. But like you said, it doesn't mean that some of those are not going to start creeping back into the system. Um, and I think at that point, we might take a pause uh, before we dive into how the court is structured and where you can file cases. So Join us in our next episode when we tackle that. 